I think, like I said, I, I think the talent level is amazing. I, I think the best thing it could probably tell young players, and just because we hear stuff when we're recruiting, and because we've talked about it from a situational standpoint, I like you've got to learn both sides of it. You've got to learn how to block, and you've got to learn how to defend. Even if it's not, even if I'm not six four, six two. You know, you could still, like I said, you could still be 5'7 and still be really good, even if you just know how to move and set up your defense without ever blocking. So I think not pigeonholing into like, this is what I'm going to do when I think I'm going to get to college or doing the same thing with every single partner you play with and always playing with the same partner. I think that's, that's where people get tripped up. Like we have, I think one of the things we found when juniors come and I, I know we all have the same problems. They play all these juniors events and they always have the same partner because they get to pick their partner. And I, I think that they struggle when they get into a college environment because they don't get to pick their partner. They are, they have to work in a team environment and their, their first choice is not always the best choice for the entire lineup. And I think that's hard for a lot of them. They really struggle. Mark Burek. I am going to take you through an hour of development, knowledge, and picking the brain of a fantastic coach. Somebody who is four, maybe five-time coach of the year. Uh, she's had an, an indoor tenure. She transitioned from indoor and is now one of the most successful coaches in beach volleyball. She is currently ranked third all-time in NCAA wins uh, with her university. And this is the head coach of Stetson University, Christina Hernandez. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Doing some research on you just to get named coach of the year once is a cool, great honor. You've done it five times, is that right? Four times, four times. Four four should times been, it should just, have been five it's okay we'll do four <laughs> you got robbed i understand yeah, it's okay it's all right we all do at some point yeah it's four yeah the first one was cool I'm trying to remember what it might have been in 15 i think it was in 15 and i had coached indoor for such a long time and you know i had won a title with hofstra when i was there but i still never you know never got coach of the year or anything like that it seems it always seems like such a far mm. far reach far thing and do you even um, pay attention to it as a coach yeah like so focused yeah. on yourself winning like your teams and your girls right. and your personality so it's uh, yeah what other people think of me like we got our own family right right yeah. yeah so it's one of those things like when it happens like oh that's like that's awesome that was cool and now it's fun. I mean, now it's fun. You know, anytime our, our team is doing really well and they're getting the, their accolades for the conference and that, you know, and that pops up towards the end, I, I take it more as a compliment from my peers in our conference that they respect what it is that we're doing, you know, and what we've done that we can kind of keep doing it every year or doing it a little bit better. So now it's awesome. And you know, it's always a good feeling to kind of just be recognized by our conference because we vote and we all do that. And you know, you know how that can go sometimes. You never really know. But so, yeah, I'm, I'm appreciative of how it goes with our conference. But, yeah, it's, it's nice to have it on the resume there at the beginning. It's not, not a bad thing to have. So <laughs> I'll enjoy I try to enjoy it as it comes. But, you know, I, I think we enjoy when our kids get recognized and honored probably more. Yeah, I would. I'm, I'm kind of 
predicting that, you know, like yeah. you have your family every day. You're focused on how do I help this kid get better? How do I help this kid get through like schoolwork and, yeah. and practices? And you see the work that they put in that sometimes we forget our own work uh, and, and what we're doing behind the scenes. And you don't do it for recognition. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you do it because you have a desire to help and, and probably a desire to succeed. Yeah. Well, when you're voting for that, because all the coaches in the conference vote, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have a question. What do you take into account when you're voting? Uh, is it how they act on court? Is it just the success of their team? Is it how much their team has changed that year? What do you, when you're voting for that and you're trying to think like, whose name am I going to put on that, on this list? Or is, or is it just your buddy in the conference that you like to hang yeah, out with yeah, in between no. matches? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think we're all pretty, you know, we've, we've all been in the same conference for a while. So I think we're all pretty close, but like, for instance, like I, I think Florida Gulf coast in our conference had a lot of transformation this year. You know, I, I thought that they really grew and got better and, and really were competitive within the conference outside of the conference. You know, so that was an easy one because, you know, I I felt like Chris deserved it, you know, because they kind of went from, they just kind of, again, they just elevated their program so much within that kind of that snapshot. And they had a a lot of new players and younger players and kind of a mix of old and new. So, you know, it was, it was nice to see that, but I think it's always trying to look for that is like, who has really like you said, transformed from one year to the next and, and maybe not done it with, you know, a loaded senior class. And like I said, he kind of had a sprinkle of really young kids. And so we know that they're going to continue to get better and be really good next year as well. So I think all that's exciting. It's, you know, what can you kind of keep reinventing your team from year in and year out and how you're mm-hmm. constantly changing and how much better you get. And, and also he kind of does it solo. So I have a ton of respect for Chris a lot. He does it by himself and that's hard enough. I complain about my one assistant only having one. I'm sure we all do, but it's like he's running around, you know, these big matches and top 20 matches and he's, he's coaching three courts at the same time. And that's, that's hard in itself. Yeah. So I can't even imagine from a game prep to film prepping. I mean, we, we do a lot of hours by, you know, just me and my, you know, we have a volunteer, so we're very fortunate, but a lot of work for one person so i I respect what they what they were able to do this year in the conference nice that's yeah it's always it's always fun thinking like what what do coaches expect the most and to me i don't know when you said it when you said you know it's not a senior loaded class if i were to look at a senior loaded class that would be like the most successful to me i would say that coach now deserves uh every accolade because when they came in, they weren't that good. That mm-hmm. that group of four, you know, I always kind of look at our, the way our country is run. And I say like, you give one guy four years to make massive change. And we barely give like college football coaches four years. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's like three or four. Okay. If you couldn't do it in four or five, then you're out, you know, but to do it for a country is just wild. Yeah. And I forgot where, where I was, going with this but oh (laughs) yeah and seeing yeah yeah, like does a younger successful team uh speak to the success of the coach or the quality of the coaching or does it is it speak to the recruiting and is that just an asset that the coach has that you're like you know what he deserves coach of the year because he was a great recruiter 
Yeah, it's tricky, you know, especially with COVID and all these, you know, we've got all these fifth years now and that, that's about to be cycled out here within, I think, one more year or so. But, you know, you had a lot of teams that had six, seven, you know, fifth year seniors this year and the year before, and they're a little stacked and they're overloaded. So it's it's like, yeah, it's like we kind of we expect them to win. It, it's a it's a tricky thing. You know, like you take Grand Canyon, who got, you know, National Coach of the Year, Kristen. You know, she had, I think, a couple of transfers, nothing massive. And, you know, she lost a couple that transferred in herself. But, you know, they had they had a great season and they kind of were mixed with having some upperclassmen and some new freshmen and some sophomores. So, you know, they made a they made a name for themselves and kind of made a dent. So I, I don't know. I, I think it's just for me, it's always more of the surprise, like who really did something that was just a little bit unexpected, because I think sometimes we always expect the same teams to do well. We always expect, you know, and I think the way the game is growing, that's going to happen less and less. I mean, you look at Georgia State with all the upsets they had in the championship, and that's fun. Like, that's why basketball is so entertaining, because, you know, it's, it's the talent level yeah. is becoming you know, more even and, and everybody's a really good coach and everybody that's there knows what they're doing. And, you know, now you're just trying to see who can, you know, kind of keep their nerves there at the end and, and finish those matches. So I feel like when the, when the sport first started, it was just like, yep, that that's, you know, it's UC, USC and UCLA were like on an Island over here with Pep mm-hmm. kind of by themselves and they were just untouchable. And I remember uh, our I'm, first, they yeah. had everybody, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, you know, the yeah. whole crop of, of coaches like currently there's I what is it 80 percent uh maybe 70 percent of the NCAA coaches are like current or former NCAA AVP players yeah. it's like this whole crop is has just been pro and yeah. the girls that they're training are going to be able to wipe the floor with them because of uh, just like the coaching they've had mm-hmm. you know all those players they barely had coaches you know all yeah. of us people our age like the coaches who are leading right now it probably took us a while to find a beach volleyball coach if we even did yeah so now the next generation of coaches is going to be having trained as a player since they were 10 you know every single day and the evolution that's going to come in 10 years it's going to be sick i think no i know yeah you know we're 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 watching club practices right now and there's you know 10 and 12 year olds over here practicing i'm like wasn't even thinking about that one. <laughs> and it's like, what? Uh, you know, and they're training with like Patty Dodd. And it's like, okay, I'm sure by the time you get in the next couple of years, you're going to be pretty good. So it's it's fun. And I think the sports is going to keep kind of growing and evolving. But I, I think constantly seeing new teams kind of pop up and be surprising is awesome because it just means that we're all getting better and that our sport's going to get better. There's better teams. The more the better uh, at the end of the day, the more competition we all have with each other, the, the better it is for, for our sport in general. Yeah. In, in terms of, of, so I've got a few questions that just came to mind. I keep them in the back of my head, but uh, in terms of the game changing, is there anything or any rules or any formats that you would like to see different? I mean, I know there's constant, I've, and for the last 30, 40 years, there's been discussion of the hand setting rules. Um, mm-hmm. That's something to come to mind. You don't have to touch on hand setting. Yeah. But is there is there anything that in this next evolution with so many more players in the game growing for the women in, in our country, is there anything that you would like to see changed or, or at least experimented with? You know, they're always talking about different ways to kind of 
set up these lineups. Todd is always talking about like doing writer style where it's like, hey, here's my pair. Who do you want to put up against them instead of having your typical like one through five? And this is, you know, this is who we're going to have in the one seed, two, three, four, five. So let's uh, let's just unwrap that just before we yeah. go on. For somebody who has never seen or witnessed a college uh, duel, which I think is a sweet name for it, how how does a college match, a college duel work when two teams show up or three or four teams show up to one beach? What happens? So we play with five pairs. So you're one through five seeds. You've got your six, which is your exhibition pair, but they don't count. So fairly similar to tennis, your one seed is going to kind of be your highest. There should be your highest level team, one, two, three, four, five. And then you've got to win three, three of those five matches to be able to win the duel. So a lot so five of you matches know, happen at the same time in one day or like, you know, scattered. Yeah, they, a lot of them are staggered. You know, we've, we've done both. And obviously the national championship, you know, all five teams play at the same time. And then other places, you know, you can go in two rounds where your four, five, six may play first and then your one, two, three. So kind of different ways to do that. But I, I think there's a lot of discussion if that's the best way to kind of match up. And I, I think it's more because I think the level, like you said, the levels change so much where like our one and two seed could probably interchange a lot. And sometimes our three, I, I think there's a lot of mixing. And I, I do think there's some one seeds where it's like, yeah, they, they should, they, that that is definitely where they should be. But I think once you kind of get down there, there, there's a little bit more balance. I do think fives, you know, they're kind of, they're not your lower level team, but they are your, you know, considered your fifth seed within that lineup. They tend to be a little bit younger, maybe a little bit smaller, but. Are you supposed to game it? Is that, is no. this like a, no. is this a coach by coach situation where some people are like, well, yeah, you win the duel. So I got to game it. Like I'll, I will put my one seed as the three seed instead to make sure that I take the bottom the bottom three yeah matches. so there's a lot of there's a lot of rules and structure within how to make your lineup you're supposed to okay. do it by ability first so you have to create your lineup by ability but then there becomes gray area because mm -hmm. you can move your seeds up one either one up or one down like within a day or within a weekend um, except for conference championships, NCAA championships. You also can insert an alternate anywhere. So if somebody wasn't in the original lineup when you had your first game of the season, so let's say, you know, we're playing FGCU and we play, we start with one through five, and then we've got five kids that are alternates off that weren't in the lineup. I could take one of those alternates and insert them anywhere in the lineup. I could insert them at a one, I could insert them at two, so that gives you flexibility with it. So there's, again, it's supposed to be done from an ethical standpoint where you should have, again, viability, but you mm. still have all these ways where you can kind of, you know, when you're, when you're an FSU and a TCU and your kids that are not playing are just as good as the kids that are in the lineup, your alternates are really key for you mm -hmm. because they're just as good where I think when you don't have as many players as that, your alternates are not going to benefit you. There's so many tricky ways. So, so there's more talk about is, is how we line everything up really the best way to do it. Or as if we walk into a weekend and again, we're going to play FGCU. I'm like, Hey, who's here's who we're going to put for our one seed. And then they base it off of that, who they want to kind of match up with that team. And you keep going down all the way through. Is that the best way? I don't know. There's like, you know, floaty things around it, but it's not really kind of taken on more life beyond, you know, a few 
kind of outrageous idea. So I, I think for now, that's probably the structure structure. It'll, it'll stay up. Okay. So you're, you're not allowed, you're not allowed to game. And is, does that no. call that's that become somebody from the outsides judgment? Like, is it complaint based between yeah. the coach? Like, Hey, and bagging come a little on bit. and you get you yeah. get the dirty yeah. look and then you look at a, a ref or a judge <laughs> yeah so the refs unfortunately don't do they don't get involved with it we can protest it but you still you still you still have to play the match so okay. we play it i think people have gotten better about it i think it you know before when some of the rules first came out people would still do it they would do it anyways because king out just got slapped on the wrist um, and nothing would really happen. So it was mm. kind of like, what's the consequence of me doing this anyways? And now, you know, you can put in like a formal uh, challenge with the NCAA committee. And then they look at those when it comes time to like figure out bids and who's going to go and, okay. you know, it, all that stuff. So I think that has helped kind of regulate it a little bit. But, you know, when you have the ability to kind of move your lineup with everything, and I think, again, the more balanced teams are, it's really high, hard to like decipher it is that is that player really supposed to be there or not? So I think the more players that have the, the teams that have larger rosters, that becomes kind of hard to like justify because they, they have a lot of talent. So, you know, who am I to say that that's not supposed to be at their seat? Right. Cause there's so many things you don't know. You don't know how that kid's pra- you don't know how that kid practices. You don't know if she's really lazy. You don't know all those mm-hmm. things. You're kind of just judging like, Oh, she should be there. It's like, well, you don't know the whole background of it. I mean, she may, she may hate watching film. She might be really difficult to coach. I mean, there's so many other things that go into play there. So, but I think there's, there used to be back in the day, some moves where it was like, come on, that's just really like, okay, you know, you shouldn't move your one seed to the four or like all of a sudden your one seeds at the exhibition and your exhibitions now playing at the one seed. So like, she's you know, limping. She was limping yeah, all week and now she's yeah, Why weren't they in the lineup in the first place of their mm-hmm. exhibition? So I, I think this year was fairly, fairly good besides a few instances that you know we kind of hear chirped about all the time but i i think for the most part everybody's trying to be as ethical as possible when kind of making their lineups now okay yeah Do you, uh, is there a way that you let's, let's put it this way what factors play the most important role for you when you're trying to decide who plays together do you allow your team to just go wild wild west and say pair up or are you you know (laughs) like making people play with them and then is it their individual ability is it are there certain players like uh, you know karch who can just or i guess now phil dahauser who can just win with anybody Mm -hmm. um is it relationship is it their individual ability or is it the, the the chemistry between individuals and trying to pick up on that yeah how do, how do you look at that it's all those things because i think it's different for every pair i mean i'll take my two seed for instance we there are two defenders and we randomly threw them together one day because a bunch of our blockers were out for the day for practice so we just threw them because they, they're too good to play with kind of some of our lower level players so we're just like we'll just throw you guys together and it was instant like in we instantly saw the chemistry from them it was just beautiful watching them play together just like it's not difficult to figure out and you're like okay this is we have to put them together when you say chemistry did you mean like their connection talking and cheering for each other or did like the 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 nature of the set and the hit were they matching each other's timing and flow 
Yeah, it was just the flow. The flow of the game was so easy. And they had, you know, never practiced together, really, because, again, they were just two defenders. Mm -hmm. They were neither really blockers, but they were so, so good at peeling and lining up and taking responsibility. That That's what I mean. Like, we just threw them together. They started playing, and all of these things just clicked for them without a lot of effort. So that, you know, and they became our two seed and they're really competitive. I mean, they were 22 and nine. I, I might be off with that, but, you know, they were huge for us and, mm -hmm. and clinched a lot of duels for us. And they're, you know, five, seven and five, eight. <laughs> two seed, but um, impeccable ball control and defense and just really two smart athletes. But so that was easy. They were one of the first pairs that we put together and it was just a random, you know, one-off day where just, we just couldn't do anything else. That shouldn't be undervalued, right? Because like no. I see so many like uh, defenders where I've I've played really well with guys my size and probably better just because the, you know the flow of their set mm -hmm. or where they needed to be. That's where I wanted to put that that ball, and they like without words understood the positioning right. and how to create timing for me, and I the same for them. Whereas you know I keep trying to find this big blocker and. There's such a, you know, that's a smaller field that you're right. looking for. And it just, a lot of times it doesn't match up just because I hate their handsets. I hate their bumps. <laughs> you know, whatever. Like, yes, it's a set, yeah. but there's a feeling where it's like, mm, that's the one that I want to hit. And you know how to put it there every time. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I think we have one pair like that every year where it's just like, and Annette was our prime primary blocker and she's maybe five, six on a good day. But she just, she sets herself up well to funnel to, you know, Carol, who's a, who's the other player. And she just peels so much and she's so good at it that I was like, all right, well, I guess we're never going to get a block here at the TC, but it's all right. And she didn't. I, I don't think she, she might have gotten one block the entire season. But again, and they're both hand setters. So again, their ability to just kind of move and flow offensively and do a lot of fun stuff. So but yeah, I, I think that we have a pair like that every year. They're just, and we love those pairs because they're they're not easy, but they're they're the ones where we're like, oh, okay, the, the, that's that's the good one. And then everybody else, we you know we kind of let we'll either kind of decide who our kind of top four are, and we'll try and pair them together and see if it works. A lot of it is chemistry. We always tell them it's not necessarily just the good stuff. It's how are they in conflict and can get through their bad days and their bad moments because that lets us know they're going to be good. Because a lot of times when things don't automatically work, I think some of the younger players, their automatic reaction is like, well, I need a new partner. It's like, well, that's not, that's not realistic. All the younger players in all of the ages. Yeah, it's like everyone. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't like this. What's my solution? I'm just going to get a new player, a new partner. It's like, yeah, that's not, that's not real. Um, to the AVP. It's yeah, miserable. It's like, I think I wish more of the pros stuck together. The, the whole yeah. other, the rest of the world is like, I don't understand how you guys play literally with a different partner every single tournament or like every two or three right. tournaments. So like, yeah. how do you even improve? And, and now I see that I understand it, yeah. but there's also like a huge field and everybody's on that little bubble and there's just too much ego, honestly. Yeah. Um, a lot of it for... is ego. And I, I would say the same for ours. It's like, you think you should be playing with this person where it's like, just focus on the one that you're with. So yeah, a lot of it is their ability to deal with conflict, the flow of the game, how they communicate at some point we'll ask them for their input. Like if you had to choose your top two, you know, who is it and why? And we'll, 
we'll listen to it. Doesn't mean we are necessarily going to do it, but we at least get their feedback. Our three, four, five this year, they were all freshmen and sophomores. And I think we initially started with what we thought we thought was good. And on paper, it made sense from a, you know, from a skill level and where they should be playing at and what seed they were playing at but they weren't able to win together. Like they would get to these tiebreakers and be 13, 13. And all of a sudden they would just like choke up and hit the ball out. And like, what, why are you doing this all of a sudden? Hmm. And that happened to us a lot at the, at the beginning of the season, you know, we're, there were so many two, three matches that we lost when we had like the advantage because they, you could just tell they weren't really, they really didn't have a lot of confidence in each other as a pair and that caused hesitation. So that wasn't good. And then, you know, random stuff always happens and we're, we're at a tournament in South Carolina and my really good two C player gets injured and she's just got to be out for the day. So we have to shift like the entire lineup. Yeah. We end up, you know, changing all of our players at the three, four, five and kind of sliding up or moving down. And those pairs just clicked instantly. And all of a sudden they're winning tiebreakers now and they're doing it very aggressively. And we're like, okay. And then you ask them, it's like, oh, I just feel really good playing with her on the court. Uh, whether it was a change of scenery, who really knows? But that change was really huge for us because by the time we went into ASUN, we had made those switches at the four and the five from a, you know, just the defenders. Like we switched our defenders down there. And ASUN's your conference, right? And ASUN's your conference. conference. Those two pairs went 25 and three. Whoa. Together from ASUN to the national championship. All those hit like, so they were just. Dang. Like, yeah. And it wasn't, again, it wasn't necessarily it. it it was the same like four kids. We just switched their partners and they just, again, it was just uh, mm -hmm. either having confidence in each other or all of a sudden, like it just, it was crazy, but they were just completely new players being able to close out these really tough matches and doing it so aggressively. And it was awesome to kind of see that. How do you try specifically? Like, I'm, I'm going to lock you down and, and try to try to make make you give some details. But how do you try to figure that out before those matches? What's yeah. what's the process of yeah, we're practicing, yeah, we're getting better and at the same time I'm trying to figure out who is going to work together because you said it it happened like at a tournament because somebody drops mm -hmm. out and you're like, "Oh, what a surprise." But I'm sure that there's an active every day like maybe this person should be here. Yeah. Um, it's a long process. We will start it in the fall. Um, and granted, we always have one or two kids come in January. So we'll start the whole thing over, but we at least have some basis of fall. I love numbers. I love stats. I love information. I like making decisions like that. And just instead of me just guessing on who I think should be playing together, mm -hmm. I like, inf I like information. It's just how my brain works. So, you know, we have huddle just like most of us do kind of in the top 10, 15. So you just huddle is? It's a video platform software, but they break up all of our games. They'll break up our scrimmages, our practices, and they'll pump out stats now for us and hitting charts. So we're about our third year into it now. And I, I think we really understand the baselines. Like 
if you're going to play at a one, a two seed, these are usually the numbers and the percentages that, that you have to hit. If you're kind of at this, like these are the numbers and percentages that you have. Do you to know hit. them offhand? Like what's the hitting percentage for a top one or two team? In oh, general? they're like, they're like 600 and, and higher. I mean, they're wow. maybe, maybe, maybe making two to three errors a set. And the highest level, like UCLA, USC, I mean, those are, they're, they're playing at that level. You know, their passing percentage is at a 2, 2.0. Their serving percentage is at, at a 2. They're at, you know, the serve receive side out is 60% and higher. And the so we know all those numbers now. So we know, like, if, if over time consistently these are your numbers, realistically, this is kind of the level that you can play out. So we so start you with you got to be at minimum against, right. at minimum, against, this against is the, the top teams and against right. everybody. You got to right. be citing six getting kills six out of 10 times with no right. errors or right. seven out of 10 with one error. Right. And That's crazy right. For, for the people who are like, yeah, I do that. You also have to look across the net and understand what your competition is. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know? so easy. Yeah. But if you're yeah. hitting under 500, that's your first baseline. Every 10 right. times you get the ball, do you side out five with no errors? You should at least be at 50% if you want mm -hmm. to just, uh, just up your level. Yeah. Um, Good, good metric to pay attention to. We're doing that in our in our online courses. We're getting everybody yeah, to it's to great. It's great information because I, I think you, when you look at that either from a weekly basis off of a scrimmage and practice or after you play from the weekend and then you can compare it to what you did the week before and the week after, that's what, it, like, I think we kind of know, like, okay, they're, they're progressing. They can do this consistently. They can play at this level consistently. But those numbers are important. I think it gives them real information to kind of latch on to for markers to hit and that's such a like indoor thing because indoor always had stats you know you have stats for everything so and five coaches. i like that <laughs> like that piece because it lets us know you know if we have a team that's making six seven errors in a set realistically we're like yeah you're either going to be a five maybe or maybe you just can't be in the lineup because that's a lot it's a lot to have in one set are there um, some people that make more that. errors when they play with a, a different person like does sure. the same athlete not make errors no matter mm -hmm. who they play with? Yes. They're the ones you always like, like, like you said about Phil, like there are players that we have that can win with anybody on the team, mm. you know, whoever they're with, they're just winning. Okay. And our, our freshman one seed blocker was like that. She just, just regardless of who we put her, put her with, she was winning. She was hitting the same numbers. Her energy was the same. Her communication was the same. So you're like, that's just a really good player. So now why, it's, why, why was, what, mm, what was about her that she could play with anything or any athletes that you see that can play with anyone? Yeah. Is I, it I think feet to ball. Is it that technical? Is it emotional? Is it, do they make their partners feel good or are they just neutral? You know, do you, do you see in the conference yeah. any similar qualities be, behind those people? I think that they're, I think you hit like, they make people better. I think they find how to win with whoever they're with and wow. they and i, I know think, that's tough <laughs> i know i i think when you sometimes when we think we get paired with somebody that we shouldn't be playing with we automatically kind of change a little bit some kids do where you know they kind of have not a bad attitude but maybe a bad perspective where they're only seeing bad things happening or mm -hmm. complaining about like oh well the set's not 
exactly ready to give in quicker, right? Yeah. So you're nitpicking at everything instead of, like I said, just kind of being neutral and understanding like, okay, this is my partner. This is the circumstance and this is how I'm going to be able to win. And, you know, we always talk about trying to manage the weaknesses with whoever your pair is, like not trying to all of a sudden be really like an expert at it, but how can you manage it to where it's not going to affect the game? Because, you know, everybody we're playing is going to do something a little bit different and, you know, you're not all of a sudden going to hyperspeed learn how to kind of adapt to it if you're not prepared for it. But maybe your partner is having a horrible day and you still have to figure out how to win instead of just being, instead of just making that as an excuse of like, well, it's, it's because she wasn't playing well. Mm. Because, uh, you know, we've had a, there's always one, I, I'm sure all of us are the same. We always have one player that is the same that regardless, they can just, I think it's a lot of internal motivation, but I think they just know how to win and they're focused on that part of it that like, okay, this is who I have. So let me figure out how to win instead of you think that the the players that can play with anybody and do it successfully, do they change their game according to who they play with? No, I don't don't think so. No. Interesting. They might. They're not like chameleons in terms of playing style. Yeah. They might, you know, they might take on more responsibility, but it's not like they all of a sudden start optioning because that person can't side out or, you know, whatever it is. But I think that's the thing. I, I think their game doesn't morph. I think that they play the same style of game with whoever they're with, where another player, again, might have not a great reaction to the partnership. And that autumn, because they're in that emotional state already, they, they then change their game unknowingly because they're not in that they're not in that flow of that state of mind of just playing there they've got this kind of handicap that they see where they think they have to do more to win but they really don't i mean they do but they don't but i I think that perception is huge where we've got the players that are like yeah i'll play with whoever where wherever you need me and we know we can plug them and then there's some where it's like they really can only play with that person because They just don't do well with anybody else. And that's tough. And we always tell our players, like, the more people you can play with, the better. Mm. It only opens up your, you know, your availability. So we go through all of that in the fall and we mix them up and we have them play pairs tournaments and duels. And so we always track all their wins and losses with their. Yeah. And as pairs, because we want to be in a position to where when we do have injuries, because honestly it happened to us probably two or three times this year where somebody that was a significant player got injured and we had to shift the lineup. We don't want them to panic. I don't want to panic. I want to have already looked at all of the options that we have and know that like, okay, if we plug this in here, we're still going to be as competitive. So we do that in the fall to make sure like, okay, so-and-so can play. This is her best option. This is option B if we have to. Um, and then we have them play together a lot so that when we do have to make those changes, they're prepared for it. It's not a shock to them. And, and we did that a lot this year. And I think I think our team did really good at handling that this year because we had prepped to be able to play with at least three different people should the scenario happen. Good. And I think the teams, you know, you take FSU, they're probably a perfect example because – She's using her lineup really strategically. That's Brooke, really right? well. Brooke, yeah. Yep. And they've got a lot of really good talent, you know, that's not playing, but 
they they change their players and pairs a lot kind of at the lower seeds and it's really hard to scout because you never know who you're playing like mm. you're like ah oh, i thought she was gonna do this and she didn't do it so we have to prep them for that but i think she uses that to her advantage because they her team is used to doing that a lot and i think it's kind of just an mo that that just you know we never know we always walk into fsu being like Okay, this is a lineup we scouted, but we very well know this is probably not the lineup we're gonna play. Because mm -hmm. she can match up because she has, you know, she has so many players off. So that's a different kind of strategy, but it's it's a long process and it's it's trying to make sure that I don't get stuck in one thing that I think should be happening because I, I think our ability to change quickly is why we end up being so successful towards the end, because I don't I'm not afraid to pull the trigger. If something's not working, it's like we can't, you know, if we can't keep doing the same thing and expecting them to all of a sudden figure it out at some point, we give them time to figure it out. But at some point we have to kind of change it, especially when they're so young and they're fairly similar in talent for the most part. They all have different strengths. But I think, again, the, their, flex, their ability to adapt and be flexible is probably the most important part of it. But I know we all take a long time to do it. We always talk right before season and everybody's like, I have no idea what I'm going to do. You know, I have no idea what the lineup's going to be. I have no idea who, who really knows what we're going to do right now, but it's fun. I, I enjoy it a lot. That's probably my, one of my most favorite parts about it is trying to figure all that out because. You know, and I, and I don't coach NCAA anymore. I used to coach indoor <laughs> and we went through it with, with, six and seven people, you know, where we had like best friends on the team who are setters and they're, competing for the same spot but ncaa beach volleyball to me right now it seems like uh survivor like the show <laughs> survivor where you figure survivor. out like how to form a, an alliance and then there's all these emotions involved <laughs> with like well i can either be better or i can be good with her yeah. you know and and hopefully you're doing both and then you're wondering if coach is going to split up your best friend and now she's <laughs> off the island you know like it's crazy to think of yeah. the emotions that that those players are have to go through when you're making those decisions and really the only thing that that they can do as far as i see it is be adaptable right and play well and mm -hmm. then you have to you, you have to follow you know the the leader's lead and yeah. and that's it and if you can do those things if you can support your team if you can do everything that that you do right and you're adaptable as hell you're in a good spot for life on earth yeah for <laughs> sure yeah yeah we always tell them it's like your reaction to it is our like one of the most one of the first things that we look at it that we look at because i think we in reality know like maybe beyond the one and the two and maybe even three there's going to be a lot of change a lot at the bottom even if we're just trying to match up from a from a physicality standpoint or you know maybe our we have one defender who's better at digging shots rather than a hard i mean there's so many things down there where it's like if we can match up a little bit better we can so their reaction to it and yeah just their ability to play with we have had pairs together that couldn't stand each other outside outside of it they were all americans um, and they played together for four years. I was like their marriage counselor, but they were so incredible together. They mm. just were so hard headed that they constantly were thinking about like, who else could they play with? And we would try it. We would try it out. Yeah. And then we would be like, it's not as good. 
This is why you have to be together. That was that Swiss team from back in the early 2000s. Two Swiss guys that did not get along. Literally yeah. not a single word to each other the entire yeah. match. They like yeah. no high fives, no nothing. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. their father was coaching them and they were brothers and they hated each other. Yeah. Um, but they're in I the Olympics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had a pair. And they're, yeah, two-time All-Americans. And uh, yeah, they... They would peel out after all the games. They would just peel off from each other, and then I'd have to bring them back at some point. And I get it, but you guys are literally like twenty-five and three, so just be, just figure it out. Like you guys will yep. be alright. I like kind of you know later in my career, I'm, I'm kind of looking at that. Like yes, I want to play with the great players, but then there's also still like there's some players that you kind of just don't want to play with, even if they yeah. are good. You, you start looking at it and we don't really make anything for beach volleyball. You know, there's, there's not yeah. like a ton of money. So it's not like if, oh, if I put myself through hell, then at least I'll, I'll get a, a championship and get a million bucks. That's the, the payoff. Like the payoff is the championship, but it's like, you know, $7,500. So looking at the relationships, I'm starting to look at like, who am I going to enjoy myself with? Yeah. You know, who am I going to like relax, be able to hang out with them, travel with them. And sometimes it's, I'm cool hanging with somebody who doesn't talk <laughs> at all because like yeah. I, I I'm a lot less talky nowadays. And sometimes it's like Kurt Topple was one of my favorite partners and that guy did not stop talking. But it was always like kind of interesting and fun and he's hyper intelligent. Yeah. So even though he wouldn't be my typical like it's a little too talky for me. Uh, it was always interesting and funny and he would make random friends wherever we went in the world. <laughs> and so it was, you know, he became one of my best friends that season we played together. And uh, you always keep trying to find that emotional balance of, is it worth it to play with a better player? And how much better are you going to be? Right. If it's just, it, it makes life sucky. Yeah. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes right. depending on your goals, it is. And you have to take that into account. What's my goal? Why do I play? Why am I competing? Why am I signing up for a tournament? And then take an assessment of who you want to play with and who you should play with. Yeah, fun stuff. <laughs> you mentioned a little bit, uh, and I do want to get into kind of physicality, but in terms of you had one person who you said maybe dig shots better and maybe digs hard driven ball. Could you give me, and, and I'll ask you to search your brain for, mm -hmm. you know, it's imaginary, but I want you to think of somebody in your conference, like one team, Mm -hmm. And then just without mentioning them or your team, just say the strategy and why you would use it. Could you just yeah. pull one of your strategies for the players who are listening and are trying to, they, they hear mm -hmm. about strategy. And as far as they go, it's serve the person who can't hit as well. And that's like as, as deep as they go. So I want to help people get more strategy so what, yeah. do you, what do you look for so we serve up our we set up our serving strategy based off of what our defensive strengths are so we don't necessarily just serve the best or the you know the worst hitter because that's you know maybe maybe our defender doesn't defend whatever it is that they're doing very well it happens all the time we do have a lot of different players where one is much better at digging shots versus hard driven where we also have a kid that's much shootier and the other one just likes to swing at everything we have some that move and some that are higher so there's all these different things right so we will first talk to our players once we have film of who they want to serve because they think they can funnel this shot or this heart. So even if it's, you know, you take UCLA for instance, because they're the last team we played. 
very, very, very good team. Definitely not just a shooty team. A lot of them swing and take big swings a lot. I think our defenders were comfortable with that because they like, like it's their strength. Like they felt really good serving some of the bigger players and just kind of sitting there and getting ready to dig that ball because they knew that they could do it. So it wasn't necess- It wasn't in a mind frame of like, I want to stay away from that because she's really strong. It was like, I, I want this and I want to serve her because I'm trying. I, this is my strength as a defender. And I know that I can dig this ball and convert off of it. So okay. we really try to work, I think from a mindset perspective, it's good because they're, they're coming into defense in a much more aggressive mindset with, and like understanding what it is that they're trying to take. And even if it might be the player's best shot or best swing, it may be, defense. it might be our strength defensively so we try to do that so even if we take a timeout you know if we have a player that's coming out of the middle and maybe she's swinging you know we, we always will always we go through you know we practice multiple defenses based on scenarios etc so we always give them the options it's like hey this is what she's doing we're going to serve her here and this is what she's going to do we can either do this defense this defense or that defense and we let them decide what they're going to do because they're confident in that decision with like, I know that if she's going to do that, I can run this defense and I'm going to dig that ball. So we give them those options based off of how we've trained them and that their decision comes off of them knowing that this shot or swing, their best way to defend it is by running this particular defense where maybe our two seed, their strength is very different from what our four seed is. So we have to give them that flexibility of not just if I were playing, I would run this because this is how I would do it. It's it's understanding they all have different defensive strengths. So, you know, again, if, if this is this player's strength and we know she's going to do it, I defensively know that I can run this particular defense and I'm going to dig this ball more likely than not. And then that, you know, takes her kind of her strength away. So we always try to take the strength away from the player more than – hoping that somebody's going to make an error or okay. hoping that somebody's going to miss hit. Because I, I think the like obviously the higher levels you play, the higher teams you play, they're not going to make those errors. They're not going to do that for you. You know, they're, it's going to be a side out match and you have to find the defensive breaks where you get them. So we try to do that in a much more aggressive mindset, but um, we do try to match up sometimes with our four and five defenders because they're fairly similar from a skill perspective where, there are a lot of five seeds we play that are just very shooty. And we have a kid that just loves running around and can dig 5,000 shots no matter what. Like she's just like everywhere. It's like, do it, do it. Uh-huh. So we'll match her up because we know that that's her strength. Whereas our other defender, yeah, she's going to get a little lazy on the high line sometimes, but she can dig a hard driven ball so well. So we'll flip like that. Because so makes- many players like that. There's so yeah. many players that like yeah. are fantastic shot diggers but if you just you know blast them you're fine and vice versa like they will lip you if you unload and then as soon as you hit a high line they're just frozen they didn't even move it's like why would i swing here right yeah and it's the same thing when we have you know when you're on the offensive side of it it's it's are you going to play into that defender's strength are you going to kind of get into you know, a, a little match there because we have this, like everything wants to swing. And I'm like, Hey, I get it, but she's digging every ball. Mm. So it's just not the thing to do right now. I think there's one team we play 
who their defender and she's I'm not she she's frustrating. She is a run around like she's everywhere. It's like, girl, yeah. where what am I gonna do with you? I have no idea. Is she jukey or is she just low, very not, read and very quick? She's she holds. She's not jukey, but okay. we don't see her. Like she's just she moves really late and she does it very smoothly. But in the same breath, we know that if we don't swing first against her, she's just going to do that the whole game. And then she'll give up, you know, the couple of hard angle, hard angle swings that you do do because it's not affecting the match enough. So that's the thing. It's like, okay, if you have a defender like that, you, you have to establish your hard, your hard swing, or they're just going to constantly be on the move. And same thing if you're, you've got a defender who likes to dig, you know, the hard driven attack. It's like, if you're not establishing those shots, she's just going to sit there and she's going to give those up because it's not going to affect the match enough. Our, our, I actually really like playing Juki players because um, I feel like they give up a lot. Um, what do you think I, they give up the most? Do you think they give up hard driven the most or yeah, just and, and it, honestly, they move too early so it actually makes them easy early, to see? And a lot of it is probably more, not that it's not an effective defense. I think it's probably those players don't, just don't run it effectively from a timing perspective, especially yeah. at the college level. You just give it away. Um, your yeah, position yeah, just it's a like, tint, tiny bit too early. Yeah, we played one kid who juked like five times, and I was like, you're making me tired just watching you. I don't even know what you're doing. It's like, what are you digging? So but over time, I, that's distracting. I mean, so there's, there's bad about that. But over time, it's like <laughs> I, if, if you never think they're going to sit still, then you, you just decide – you know what? Screw it because they're too hard to keep track of. So I'm not going to try to shoot anymore. I'm just going right. to hit. And maybe that would help lead them into your blocker, mm -hmm. but only if you're good at juking and actually making right. plays. And like, because the people who move around and then they finally flash in one place, but it's too early, then it becomes a joke for a hitter with vision. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that yeah. early move, it's so, pe so many people don't know that they're moving early and completely just making it easy on yeah. the attacker yeah we like playing those players <laughs> so, so yeah there's different and you know the fun thing about college and especially each individual pair we play even if it's a different seed they all obviously have their own little strengths weaknesses but from a team perspective they all fairly similarly systematically do fairly similar things okay we train team system a lot in that way in preparing that way if there is a change at a seed with maybe a player we hadn't scouted or whatever we know for the most part from a system standpoint that they're gonna fall under the same umbrella okay and then, so certain swings or certain defenses right. work in certain situations over right time. because every every coach has a particular way that they train and a particular style that they like. And like I said, we know the teams that like to juke. We know the teams that like to double juke. We know the teams that like to do straight up. They're never going to switch their defense ever. <laughs> we know the ones that like to peel. I mean, that's, that's just like, again, so from a system standpoint, I think we can prep our teams. We prep our teams in that manner. And then once we scout, we can focus on each individual pair, you know, what might work for us versus not. But I think as long as I've been in it now, so I'm going into my 10th year, all of these coaches, we've all been the same where I'm like, yep, we're playing them. This is what they're going to do, like mm -hmm. without even watching film because because we just know already, like that's what right. they do. So that's all good. And that's a very long winded. But I, I think from a defensive standpoint, 
I think just trying to rely, we do, we really don't try to rely on somebody making errors. I think if there's somebody who doesn't pass well, then yeah, we'll put pressure. But then all of a sudden they become an amazing passer when they're playing you. And then you're like, what am I supposed to be doing? So we sometimes just like, like to, like I said, like to serve the stronger thing. If we know that they're very predictable and what they're going to do, I think mm, that helps okay. as well. Like if they only do two things offensively, I think our kids feel very comfortable with knowing like, Hey, I just have to prioritize this and she's going to prioritize that. I think the players are just, you know, they have no pattern really. You can sit there and watch film of them all day and they're just not going to do the same thing. And they run, you know, multiple sets and they do multiple things off of multiple sets. Those, those kids are hard. It's like, no, okay. let's stay, away. let's stay away from her because Ah, okay. So you go to the people that have the fairly predictable offense, like right. the hard cross and high line people. Right. There are those players that those are their right. only two shots. And right. all right, that's we all can, we got to worry about. Yeah. We can peel and we can sit in the, in the cross. Right. Yes. Yeah, are there any, are there any serve locations that you've seen <laughs> over your career that, you know, if we serve this 90% of players hit this? That's hard. Trying to give the listeners just like yeah. one thing that they can do that they can predict for most of the teams. I think each team, like I said, I, I think each team has a passing predictability based on if, okay, hey, we're going to serve them all in the seam because if they, if we serve them in the seam, I'll take for instance. So there was one team we played, we knew if we served them in the seam, they were going to run behind and they were going to hit a high line. That's what they did. So we tried to. <laughs> Yeah, very simple, right? It's just not a very good team as well. They were in the top 10, but it just like we knew we could execute that serve. And then, and then again, if they were going to go behind and hit that high line, we, you know, from an option, we were, our, our defender was either going to wait and then run down the line or we, okay. we were going to peel line. So those were, you know, what we were going to do. So, so to I, defend I, the high line, you, do you have a preference to defend the high line, peel or run the very late four? Depending on if our blocker is a very good peeler on that ball or again like and we talk to our defenders first it's like are you comfortable running that down do you want her digging that ball so which one do we want to do so we kind of give them those options of like hey this is this is what we're going to serve this is what's going to happen mm -hmm. so what defense is the best for us in terms of that because there are some peelers that we have like i said our two seed that i know they can peel all day and funnel that ball and some other blockers, I'm like, no, I think you should stay up there and stay away from that. Just let your defender do their job. So I think it changes based off of, again, a situational. But I think when you can find those patterns with a particular pair or partner or team, or it's, again, like we can see it because we have so much film and we can cut it up and we can see all these patterns where from a team perspective, we're like, oh, yeah, let's serve that because they all mm. do the same thing. Okay. I think short serves, we've really tried to do more of this year because I think it jams people up a lot. And they can, again, I like love short serves. Yeah, it's they get, again, it's very, very predictable where if they're probably only going to do this one particular thing based off even if they are passing it you know we're going to do that so we again it's how can you isolate that to make that player very predictable hmm. instead of them giving them the you might be serving them deep in that corner but that might be their best you know they're practiced that all the time they know how to move off of that corner and they get more variable shots yeah more more variance and, and it makes it harder to read so we always try to find the serving spot that limits the predictability because that helps us defensively do cool. you find it all the time sometimes but i think we've gotten 
fairly good at it. And again, a lot of it comes off of your ability to execute the serve. We can talk about serving short all day, but if our players can't execute it, then it's worthless. Right. Um, yeah, you serve short so, and they always high line and cut. And we have yeah, terrible chasers and overhand right. diggers. Yeah, that's <laughs> great. So it has to, again, it has to make sense for what your strengths are. And then if you know you're going to funnel that and you know it's going to be predictable, it's like it's because it's it's coming. We're we're trying to dictate more of what we're trying to get on the other side. Can we do it all the time? No, but if we can, you know, again, like 30, 40% of the time get the ball we're trying to get, then we're in a really good position from a transition conversion standpoint to be able to convert more and win that little battle there. Um, so that's what we kind of try to focus on. Hey, all, all things being equal with two players, you talked about you had your double defender team that yeah. did magic. Would you put the, is, is there a rule that you use for who's going to be the net protector peeler? Because our audience has a lot of B, A, double A players, and I am on a mission to help them understand that they don't need to block so that they should be peeling more. But then a lot of them, you know, in the beginning, they get confused over who should be up, when should be up. And is there a certain uh, physical attribute that you say, that's why this person should be the peeler? Should the more agile person be protecting the net and peeling because they get stopped and balance easier? Or should the more agile person be able to use their agility from the ground you know, and, and like you're mm-hmm. stable. Do you have any rules or insights on that? Or for all things being equal, how do we decide who's going to be the net protector peeler? Yeah. Oh, everything is always, <laughs> well, because it, it changes, you know? So like if I take my two seed, primarily Annette was our, we do just because she was a better peeler. She was more comfortable and went deciding when to peel versus not. And she felt like Carol was better at running down high lines. What made her a better peeler? Was it her overhand digging ability? Was her ability uh, yeah, to get stops? Definitely over overhead overhead peeling for sure. Okay, like, okay. Just, so slaps, pokies, tomahawks. Yeah, everywhere, like just so good. Could dig the balls overhead. Just you know, soup again, like agile. Her timing of it was really good. And she's small. And even if people knew that she was going to do that, she was still going to dig and funnel the ball. But then there were some teams we played where maybe they really challenged her on the peel and it just wasn't working. And then we would switch sometimes and have Carol peel because she she was better at digging that particular player or that particular team. So it's gone both ways. We always try to morph into what's happening with the game. But again, we prepared them both ways because it it, it depends on who we're playing and how that player is handling, how we're handling what that player is able to do. Because again, nothing is ever the same. And there will be some instances where maybe they were split blocking and Annette was just not playing defense very well behind Carol on the block. So we would just be like, hey, you're going to serve, but you got to run up this time because we're at 13-13 in the third set and we need to play into your strength. So I think it always changes. We Sometimes try it to could be a great defender and like somebody yeah. has a weird arm swing or the way their wrist hits the ball. And it it's just like you're a great sense. defender and, and yeah. they don't match your no. skill set or your eyes. Right. And you're like, I don't know why, but I can't right. take this person. Yeah. And I think at that point you have to change what you're doing. And I'm not saying everybody can block and everybody can play defense but i I think that if you're playing like you said a very kind of equal skill set you have to try it at some point because what's the worst that's going to happen because that 
you might be defending that person better. You might be lining up on the block better. You might do better on the peel than your partner normally does. So what's that point for you? How long do you wait? You know, you come in, you, you already said you come in with a defensive strategy. We haven't even talked about offensive strategy yet, but <clears throat> at what point in the game do you tell them? Cause so many, I think players give up and they say, you just got to feel the game. And I'm like, <laughs> no, that's like, yeah. you know, a pro who's been playing for 30 years or since he was born saying, yeah. you know, giving some passing advice that you're like, that's not actually what happens. That's just what you think happens. And you're bad at describing it. Do you allow them to feel the game or do you say, hey, this is when we reassess? Yeah. You know, or is there a percentage that happens? What? How do you do that? So our rule of thumb is always three. If the same ball is happening three times, we at least have to change our defense. It may not necessarily be changing who is blocking, who's defending, but we need to change our defense. It's not working. Now, we in try a row? To, yes, in a row. Like the three same kills thing. Three or three of the same swing? three of the same swing if three of okay. the same if it's happening three times in a row like say we've peeled three times and that person's hit the peeler three times or scored versus appeal even in a different direction three times then we should be changing our defense we can go back to it but we need to show something else instead of losing the same thing so and wait same, coach hernandez you don't just yeah. change your strategy oh. after one kill from the other yeah. team yeah i know so there's there's two different things. One, we we focus on our side out. And so we know that if we're siding out well, we need to focus on that first. And then eventually we will get the defensive break because we know that the teams we're playing are going to side out. It is unrealistic for us to assume that we're going to defend every single ball. It's not real. If we focus on trying to, to defend every single ball, then we lose focus on our side out and then the game gets away from us super fast. Interesting soundbite right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if we're going back and forth, you know, in the beginning of a match and it's just ping pong, we want our players to be comfortable in that state with just like, the, we're just playing the game right now. Mm -hmm. And eventually we'll get the ball we need in transition and then we'll score that point and we'll get a little bit ahead. So we try to find those little breaks, but it's also with the understanding we have to be patient with our defense to where if this is the defense we've decided to run and it's not working, we'll keep changing it until we find the thing that is helping us funnel it better. And that takes a great deal of patience instead of just like deciding that you're going to change serves all of a sudden, or you're going to serve the different person. I think if you're not going through all of your scenarios with that particular person, you could change everything before you find that break in mm -hmm. in the fact that okay now i found the serve that's weak for her i found the ball i can funnel so do you change your defense first or do you change the serve location mm -hmm. first serve location okay so your first checkpoint is like all right we know that she or we think she's going to do this so I'm going to serve here because I think that that right. will be her predictable shot. And right. then if we're not digging her, then we're like, mm -hmm. all right, we're going to stay in the same player, but we're going to see if she becomes predictable when we serve her in X spot. Right. So you don't just like change your play no. call randomly. You don't right. just say that's not working. Let's serve the other person with a, yeah no plan in mind other right. than serve right. The Everything other has to be a plan. Yeah. So okay. like I said, when we take timeouts, it's like, Hey, this is what she's doing. Here are our three defensive options that we haven't done that we can do. And then again, they decide what works off of them. If nothing is working, then we'll switch 
you know, serving the other person. Seam is always a good starting point if nothing's really working because Seam jams up a lot of people or they start setting out a system. And I love short seam. Short seam yeah, or short, short sideline. I think you short can Short or seam is always, yeah, it's always our like default of like, okay, let's just serve there because we can't find anything that's working. But we, we do focus on our side out tremendously because I think, I think you can get wrapped up in defense so much mm. and feel like you have to win every point there but that's not what's winning you the game you will right. get your it's break taxing to do yeah that. it, it so is get yeah, so then, mad every yeah. time the other team scores a point i right. see so many players do that they're just yeah. like god we lost another one. hey if you wipe the floor with them it's going to be a 21-17 game. That means that they'll have earned 17 points. And if you get pissed off for every single one of them, like <laughs> you're getting it, it fired up 17 times calling yourself a failure when if you look at the scoreboard after their 17 kills, you crushed them. Like 21-17 yeah. is a good score, you know. Right. So yeah, we, I mean we and the same thing like if we're playing a player and I'm like, "Hey, she's this is her best shot." Like you have to give it to her. Like you can't can't defend everything. You've got to have a priority. Your blocker has a priority, and if you're able to take those priorities, and they're still, you're you're funneling at least a few percentages. Like I said, like somewhere between thirty percent on that priority, and they're still that player is still comfortably doing their best thing. You're still in a better position to win the match, and you have to give them that other stuff. Like it's again, a, I think we get into this idea that we have to shut somebody down. And there are players that you can shut down. I'm not saying there's not. But again, when we play the higher level teams, you just have to be okay with the fact that they're good and they're going to figure out how to score. And like, and again, it's it's being comfortable in that space and being patient till when you find the thing that's actually working for you, then the game's going to start shifting and then you'll win those big points when they matter. Instead of getting so flustered at the beginning of the game, it's like... I think that's the difference between yeah. like me in like my early twenties and me now, like I'm fine now with not pulling away 14, 14, 15, 15, yeah. 16, 16, like, let's go. And, you know, and when I was in my early twenties and maybe younger and probably in my early thirties, it would be at that point. I'd be like, well, yeah, why haven't we pulled away yet? Why haven't we pulled away? It's like, yeah. I think Ricardo is at Ricardo Santos. He goes, there are a lot of volleyball points left. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot. Yeah. You have to be so comfortable in that space. And we are. And I mean, I say that and that's how we coach them. And we, you know, we don't take a time out and get flustered because they're not digging this ball. It's, you know, it's, it's not relaxing. But no, it's, being it's comfortable, not. Right. It's, you're right. It's right. It's not relaxing. But we we always we always tell them. He was like, just wait for the break. Just wait for the break. Like, just wait for the break. Just be patient and wait for the break. You'll get it. And I, I think they constantly have that mentality now because we're reinforcing that so that that creates not that they don't get impatient. They do. But we reinforce with the same thing that we're trying to get them to think of right. instead of like telling them to be patient and then being like, why don't you dig that high line ball? She's doing the same thing every time. It's like, yeah, OK, well. Yeah, in, in many ways, it's like chess. You know, everybody has the same similar openings. Everybody knows the first yeah. like five or six moves. Mid game gets like kind of into the weeds. And then end game is where it actually happens. Yeah. You know, yeah. where you've discovered all of their moves and you've kind of set yourself up enough to now is the kill. But there's a, a, a pace, there's a stage to the game. Yeah. And it's not 
I need to win this match now. It's not no. one one. Yeah. I need to win this match now. Right. It's there's beginning game. Probably everybody's equal. I mean, at at if levels are similar, everybody's equal. And then mid game is when you really figure it out. And then the end game starts when you've put them into a position X amount of times, and now you're ready to capitalize on right. that. Correct. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Yeah, that's the, that's the good stuff. Oh, so many people <laughs> never get to that, but it's, I know, it's, it's I know. so I'm just fun. Like, it's okay. And when the game starts, it's like 3-3, three, three, and the, the, we haven't defended the girl. The kids look at me, and I'm like, the game just started. Like, just <laughs> give it a while. Like, yeah. ugh, she's a good player. It's not player. working. Yeah, she's a good player. Like, <laughs> why do I want to take a time out right now? It's only four. It's not the first side switch. Like, just chill out. Let the game come to you. It's like, fine. So you'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I know you've got family. You've got a, a ton of responsibilities. I, like so many of our guests, I feel like in no way have we even scratched the surface. But at the same time, I feel like this episode was in terms of how I look at another player, how I look at my team how I understand the flow of a game. This had to be probably our most influential in terms of playing for players. Definitely oh, best episode we've we've had in that. Incredible to talk with you. And, and, and I hope we can do it again soon. Yeah, for and, sure. It's been awesome. Um, really dive in. Cause we didn't even talk about like offensive selection yeah. or, or any of that. <laughs> so much fun uh, stuff. <laughs> I know there should be like, I think the hour, it's probably easy to, to listen to and, you know, to choose an episode that's like an hour, an hour and 20 minutes. But really, there's hundreds of hours that you could talk about and dive into and, and, and understand. And I think young coaches as well, they try to take all of their knowledge and try to put it into somebody immediately, like in yeah. one practice. And it's like, well, we got to go step by step. Yeah. So I think if you'd like to come back on that, that that's, that's what we'll do with each other. We'll take, just take it yeah, step by step sure. and peel each little bit yeah. of your knowledge eventually get to our offense eventually yeah <laughs> yeah no yeah this has been fun it's been great hopefully it helped but yeah i think i think the thing is is like everything is there's no like one thing or one particular answer i think everything is like i said so so situational and so different i think all of the players are different but we definitely try to operate in like what is this person's strength and how can i how can I use that to our advantage rather than trying to focus on the other team so much? Because then, like you said, it's a chess match, but it's like, what side of the chess match are you on? Are you the one being the aggressor or are you trying to constantly react? Mm. And we don't want to constantly react. We want to be the aggressor in, yeah. in, in how we're moving. Yeah. Or you could be like a spider that you know, yeah. lays a trap. You feel like you're a victim. Oh, look at me, look at me, look yeah. at me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, is there any last kind of parting words or advice that you would have for either players who are interested in coming to your university or in college in general, players anywhere, or, you know, club and, and future uh, collegiate coaches. Do you have any advice for any of those sets of people in particular or all of them? That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot of different, sure different to figure out. <laughs> um, Let's start yeah. with players who are coming up. Like what's, players what's who are coming up. I think, like I said, I, I think the talent level is, amazing i think the best thing it could probably tell young players and just because we hear stuff when we're recruiting and because we've talked about it from a situational standpoint i like you've got to learn both sides of it you've got to learn how to block and you've got to learn how to defend even if it's not even if i'm not six four six two you know you could still like i said you can still be five seven and still be really good even if you just know how to move and set up your defense without ever blocking so 
I think not pigeonholing into like, this is what I'm going to do when I think I'm going to get to college or doing the same thing with every single partner you play with and always playing with the same partner. I think that's, that's where people get tripped up. Like we have, I think one of the things we found when juniors come and I, I know we all have the same problems, they play all these juniors events and they always have the same partner because they get to pick their partner. And I, I think that they struggle when they get into a college environment because they don't get to pick their partner. They are, they have to work in a team environment and their, their first choice is not always the best choice for the entire lineup. And I think that's hard for a lot of them. They really struggle. I Um, think parents and, and juniors need to hear that. Yeah, because they, when like, they're saying like, well, my girl's not playing with this. My girl's not playing with this. Here's the third uh, third place for most winningest coach in NCAA history. Right. She's saying, I need to see your player play with multiple people yeah. to see how she reacts and know and I'll know and I'll have confidence that she'll come into the college environment. Well, instead yeah. of no, she needs to be with her. And that's the only way they'll win and get deeper into the tournament. Listen, yeah. film is film, no matter how far you've gotten in the tournament film is film and, and seeing somebody compete with multiple that's that's something parents and and probably club coaches and directors need to hear that i don't think is i don't discussed. think they think about because like i said i think you get really comfortable playing with the same person all the time that when you come in this environment like i said it's your perception changes based and you react constantly to who you're put with mm. instead of just learning how to play with different people so I think a lot of juniors do that too much where they just, I've seen kids for four years straight have the same juniors partner. It's like, yeah, they're winning all these tournaments. It's great, but you're not going to college with her. Like the likelihood <laughs> of that, you're not going with her. So kind of setting yourself up for failure because you don't know how to operate with anybody else besides her. And it's not that you don't know how, it's just you haven't had to. It hasn't mm-hmm. been a challenge for you to learn different personalities play a different role because you don't have the best blocker or you don't have the same defender whatever it is so yeah i I think learning that in the juniors and doing that more is important because it sets them up better for college a lot of freshmen struggle when they first come because of the team environment and they're not prepared to operate within that with Um, multiple people and and because they want to play personalities people would get stressed out in different ways and you have to know that like somebody's rbf you know is somebody else's smile like when somebody experienced discomfort or or resting state in different ways and people they don't take into account the visuals that they pick up and that like just because somebody's got stoic face doesn't mean they're mad yeah you know just because somebody's (laughs) clapping and and supporting doesn't mean she's feeling confident at that time and you have to understand how to be, I, I think the moral of the story is uh, to be versatile. Yeah. So that would be my advice for them. Coaches, uh, I think just like you said, I am constantly listening to podcasts or something or learning, trying to constantly watch different. I mean, I watch your little YouTube videos all the time because maybe there's something I can pick up on how I can construct something a little bit different or say something a little bit different. I think trying to learn as much as you can can different styles different people different ways it just i know that i can pull things from different places to make different decisions and it helps me feel very confident in what what i'm doing or what decisions i make because i've continued to kind of do my due diligence with finding different ways to do stuff or different ways to see something or 
Or just to say a, it, you know, so yeah, that it rings, a, different way it rings to say it a little because, better for some one athlete. Yeah. yeah. I have so many international players and some of them are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> like, I just don't understand the word that you're saying. So I can find some other way to say it, even if it's a nonverbal or I have to get better at drawing. Like <laughs> I had to draw everything out for her because she just like the language barrier. So mm. trying to find different ways to say something because everybody responds differently and it's not changing your personality is just changing the keyword that makes sense for them because it can be everything. And then what was the other group? Uh, for the people who are playing, you people know, that are just playing, just playing and, and love to have fun, but they definitely want control and want to be better. Yeah. It's the same thing I said with, with the juniors. I think you just, you've got to absorb and you've got to try to learn. You, you've got to be good being really bad at some point like you're not learning unless you're kind of going through that sticky sticky stuff first i think sometimes we go to practice and we want to feel really good about what we did and we pat ourselves on the back because we look super awesome at practice that's never a good practice for us like for me we didn't get anything done so when we're really good at something we're constantly adding another layer to it of challenge whether it's focusing more on precision on, you know, a percentage of, like you said, six out of 10, we focus on that a lot. And then if we're hitting that marker, then what's the new marker that we can hit that's going to even more challenge. So there has to be constantly a new layer of challenge when something is hit or gets a little too comfortable and easy, because then it's the same thing. You'll be able to adapt more once you start playing and things don't go particularly with your way. So and I think focus, right? Like long-term yeah. focus right. is, yeah. I think you, can get into you know, the, I'm, like, I'm sucky at cut, shots, uh, at, at cut shots. Well, how many weeks have you spent hitting nothing but cut shots? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, people mm -hmm. would like do what they're comfortable with and like, well, I'm not good at that. Well, stop saying I'm not good at that. Stop complaining yeah. about X situation. You have to actively at some point do something about it. And even if it means committing one weekend to not focusing on winning, but focusing on I'm going to get a hundred cut shot kills this yeah. tournament. Yeah. There's definitely a phase like we in the fall and probably the beginning of January for us, that's what we're focused. It's not, it's not just on the winning and looking really good and everything flowing. It's like, we've got to go through all this, all this messy and rough stuff, say from a partnership standpoint so that we can get to the good stuff. And then we get to that portion of where we are constantly competing then we focusing on managing our weaknesses because we can't spend hours and hours and hours trying to perfect one little technical imperfection. It's not the time, but we can still figure out how to morph our game to be able to not, not be in, you know, not be a problem for us. So like I said, there's different portions of your year or your season where you've got to be okay with the, that challenge and learning process and dedicating time to what you're not good at. And then also understanding there's a point where you still need to focus on what you are good at and your strengths. And it, it's a fine line, but I think sometimes we just want to feel really good when we practice. And it's not, for me, it's not real. Like it's not, right. it's not real. Yeah. I so. think we need those days. Uh, yeah. I, and, and more <laughs> often I've been choking to like, Hey, let's do like a, one of those kind of pyramid days where instead of, instead of uh, competing, we're going to be practicing today until we get a hundred perfect practices. We're not going to go on percentage on anything and just that accomplishment, mm -hmm. being able to walk home at least one day and say, I did that's great good, today. Yeah. You know, that's, or, or I got it done yeah. in, instead of environment. I think the emotional 
stores need to be recouped sometimes in those very successful days. And people are always trying to find what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong. No. One day where yeah. you know that it's right and you just, hey, look at me. I got 100 perfect passes today. Yeah. Doesn't matter how many were bad. <laughs> yeah. And then the other thing on the flip side, there's sometimes where things come out really imperfect, but you still are successful and you've got to be good with that too. Like, my little TC, she's like, she has such high expectations of herself. And like, if something trickles off the net, she's like, oh, and I'm like, it's a point. Nobody cares. You still score the point. You're good yeah. enough to screw up yeah. and win. Yeah. The odds <laughs> of that happening again are so low, but like, just give it to yourself. You don't have to like overanalyze every single thing that wasn't executed perfectly because mm -hmm. again it's it's not real it's gonna happen it's a little it gets a little crazy sometimes so it's it's like i think sometimes we just focus on everything that's just not working and it's like okay well what was the good in that and then how can i make it a little bit better but like let's focus on the part of that that was actually good yeah. and then like what's the other thing that we can do in that scenario instead of just like oh i suck because that's like a horrible response to have. And it's a response that a lot of people have because they just want to want to execute everything all the time. And just like everything else, it's, it's just that patience, that patience to work through it. Can you actually do that? It's easy to say it. We talk about it all the time. And then the minute our players start doing something, we get the flailing and, you know, all that other stuff. And it's like, you know, again, what's that response that you have? Because that's how you're responding to that is, is your ability to get better, regardless of what that outcome was on the other side. That will come if you're actually working through that and not giving yourself a hard time about it. Like just, again, it's a sweet spot. It's like, that's the yeah. fun stuff of finding the stuff that you need to kind of keep tweaking and be like, oh, okay, well, that's, that's another part of my game that I can keep getting better at and see it as a good thing, not as such a negative thing because it's not, it's a, just don't, again, our perspective, it's not a negative thing. It's just new information. It's new information and how do I use this information? I like that. Well, Christina, Coach Hernandez, thank you yeah, so thank much. You. Yeah, Great I talk. can sit here and talk to you forever. <laughs> Great talk. Yeah, there was no slowdown. There was like, I ditched my whole sheet of questions so that <laughs> I told you how it would go. I was like, yeah, we got questions, but we yeah, might not right. have to do. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah, thank you so much for everybody who's listening. We, we, we've got Coach Hernandez's links and uh, the links to Stetson University Volleyball down in the show notes. So if you want to click and check out and, and support her team, definitely go for it. And uh, if you ever want to come to any of our coaching clinics or take our uh, online coaching certification, you are more than welcome to come on over to betteratbeach.com and uh, follow through all the clicks and answer all the questions. We'd love to have you on board. But Christina, I, like I said, I would love uh, to have another conversation and, and dive even deeper this time. We'll like focus on maybe offense or something like that, you know, and lifting and things. So, <laughs> yeah. but this was awesome. fantastic. And I think everybody who's going to listen to this is going to absolutely love it. Great. I had a great time and yeah, I would love to be back on. Thanks for having me. Of Thanks course. for being here. Yeah. Everybody have a great day. Congrats on all your success. Keep going. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye.